Hashtags, a Gartner Marketing and Communications podcast. Hi there, I'm Dorian Kundick. Welcome to Hashtags, the Gartner Marketing and Communications podcast, where I sit down with some of our best thinkers to share practical tips and strategic insights to help you stay ahead of the curve and add value to your organization. Our discussion for today, the DEI advantage, why CMOs should take the lead. CMOs must lead the charge on diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts to succeed in today's environment and drive measurable talent and brand outcomes. It's not just the right thing to do. CMOs are uniquely positioned to use their influence to address customer, employee, and supplier diversity. My guest today is Jay Wilson, who helps lead Gartner's research into marketing and communications, organization, and talent. Jay, thank you so much for being with us. And if you would, take just a moment to say hi and introduce yourself. Hi, Dorian. It's uh, it's really exciting to be here on the podcast, finally. Finally, really right? Yeah. We've, been, we've yeah. been angling to get you for quite some time now. I know. I, we've, been, we've been chatting for a bit about it, but I am I am really excited to uh, be with you today and talk about this really important topic. And, you know, just by way of introduction, I have been with Gartner for about seven years now. Um, prior to coming to Gartner, I worked on the agency side for close to 20 years um, and as you said, you know, I work a lot around our research on organization, on talent, on hiring, retention, and of course, uh, DEI is, is is a big part of that. And so happy to have you as a guest about this topic. You're bringing just a wealth of observation and experience over time uh, to inform this conversation. So, you know, just to get started here, we're making a pretty strong assertion here that CMOs must lead the charge on DEI. Is that must? born more of opportunity or is it born more of expectation for CMOs right now? Well, I think I, th I think it certainly is expectation um, and there's opportunity tied with that expectation. What I really like where you just led off was saying, hey, listen, you know, this is the right thing to do point blank. That's, you know, we, we need to kind of acknowledge that. And while I guess we'll have a conversation about the ways that CMOs can leverage diversity, equity, and inclusion to improve their influence, to improve their business results. At the end of the day, um, even in absence of those business results, we have to recognize that, you know, given given the issues of tackling systemic racism, of, you know, gender pay gaps, all of these are, you know, the right things to address. And if there are ways that that CMOs can improve their organizations by doing so, all, all the better. Um, so I think, yeah, you asked if it's if it's an expectation or opportunity. As a CMO, you have to look, I think, first and foremost at your customers. And we know that there certainly is an expectation from consumers, from employees, from company shareholders that organizations address this. So as an example, we know that um, when we surveyed consumers, um, really at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement in the summer of 2020, following the murder of George Floyd, um, the number one expectations, expectation of consumers um, of brands in response to this crisis was that they they take action internally, first and foremost, to improve uh, diversity, equity and inclusion. So um, so there's expectations from consumers, from boards of directors, from shareholders. Um, and, and I think that up until 
fairly recently, CMOs acknowledged this, right? They were aware of this expectation, but they tended to kind of defer to, you know, their HR teams or their CEO to take the lead. And I, I think that that's no longer a, a viable deferment to take. You know, when we speak about expectations, I think there's a certain permission that comes with expectations and there's a certain weight as well. Um, and that's why I love what you're introducing in this conversation in terms of the opportunity aspect of this, because I think the, there is this potential upside that strategically embracing DEI represents. And sometimes that feels even more freeing than meeting the weight of these various expectations. So I really want to focus our conversation in on this potential upside, uh, this potential opportunity of DEI involvement for CMOs. I think most of us, to your point, think about DEI in terms of HR and communications, right? Our friends in HR own the hiring and policy and cultural and EVP side of things. Our friends in comms tend to be in charge of the messaging aspect. I say tend because everything's a team sport, right? But you're really placing this squarely in front of CMOs and saying, look, this is an opportunity for you, and it's largely untapped. So high level, tell me what that looks like in terms of this less tapped than it should be opportunity. Yeah, less tapped, uh, under leveraged. Um, I mm -hmm. think, you know, the context for this is that we fairly recently at the start of 2022, did a marketing um, and communications organization survey of CMOs and chief communications officers. And one of the things that those CMOs and CCO, CCOs told us was that they felt their influence within their organizations had grown over the past year. And that certainly makes sense if we think about, you know, the pandemic and, and um, you know, issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion that CMOs were really being tapped to understand what was happening on the front lines of their business. But the reality is, and we tend to find this, that CMOs sometimes have a, a let's call it an overly optimistic view of the world. Um, and that's great. That's why we love talking to them on, on inquiries, um, because they're a very positive uh, group of folks to speak with. But if you want to do kind of a reality check against what CMOs are telling us, you only have to turn to Gartner's uh, surveys of company boards of directors or CEOs. And those folks actually tell us that they don't see the CMO mm -hmm. as influential as he or her may, may, see, may see themselves. The thing that jumped out at me was that the CMO is one of the least likely C-level executives to be invited to board of directors mm -hmm. meetings on a regular basis. So, so there is a lot of white space for a CMO to improve her influence within the organization. And as the person or as the team responsible for and uniquely positioned to bring the voice of the consumer, bring the voice of society into the organization and affect change, and then concurrently be you know, broadcasting and messaging out to that society, there's really no other C-level executive that's in that position with the possible exception of the CEO, but the CEO is not going to be as close to that kind of frontline insight and feedback. So that's why we think this really represents a huge opportunities for CMOs. Um, just as kind of a, a cursory treatment, I, I, you'd called out our opportunity with customers, our, our opportunity with our own teams, our opportunities with suppliers. Mm -hmm. Again, at a very cursory level treatment, what is that opportunity relative to those three groups and our DEI efforts? 
Sure. Really high level. Um, Listen, you know, our our customers, our audiences, whether we're in the United States or in other regions of the world, are becoming increasingly diverse. The United States is going to be uh, what is described as a um, majority minority population by 2044, according to the U.S. Census, meaning that no single group will hold a 50 plus percent majority of the ethnographic makeup of of the population. So our customers are becoming increasingly diverse. And as marketers, we need to reflect that. Mm -hmm. Um, The second opportunity is around the diversity, equity, and inclusion of our own marketing organizations. Um, And we know that uh, that, that more diverse teams produce better results. And there's lots of quantitative data we can go into around that. That's the second opportunity. Um, and the third opportunity is around really the, you know, the financial uh, leverage that we have with our suppliers, particularly ad agencies, media agencies, those folks that frankly have been historically challenged by diversity and inclusion and are largely responsible for the messages that we put out there. So, so that's kind of the, the trifecta of opportunity that we see for CMOs. Yeah, and we're going to dig into this trifecta in just a moment here. But, you know, you'd also made an interesting observation to me that um, we really did rise to the occasion in the U.S., for, for, for instance, during the summer of 2020 with George Floyd. And there were a lot of efforts made. And I don't know if CMOs felt like check, we took care of it, or if they got in so far and then backed out saying that's someone else's territory. But what was your observation? Because we, we did start going down that path, and there seems to have been a backing off since then. Well, I think there was kind of the superficial uh, actions that were taken um, by marketing organizations, right? We think about, you know, the the, the dark the, the dark posts on Instagram, um, you know, the simple black squares that were posted um, in the immediate aftermath of uh, the George Floyd murder. You know, there's a, there's a kind of surface level. Um, they don't go very deep. Um, certainly, you know, speaking out on an issue, I think, is is something that CMOs are increasingly aware is important and that consumers tell us is important to them. But again, going back to that survey that we we did of consumers in the summer of 2020, um, while they recognize and they they expect brands to take to, to make those statements out in public um, and in their social media channels, what they really want is they want action and they want us to improve our own uh, diversity, equity and inclusion internally before we start telling some story that may not be authentic out in the marketplace. So let's go ahead and look at these three different opportunities that you've called out as being really ripe for our involvement right now. So we've got our customers, we've got our own teams, we've got our suppliers to look at. Let's start by looking in the mirror and reflecting on our own marketing team. So we know from the data that just generally speaking, no matter the context, diverse teams tend to make better decisions, right? Yes. Yes. So I saw a fascinating study. This was a couple of years ago. This was actually um, before the summer of 2020. But um, uh, what they did was they evaluated decision making and its um, relation to business outcomes. And so a correlation was made that 95 that decision making is 95 percent correlated to business outcomes and that further diverse teams made better decisions than homogenous teams mm. 87% of the time. 
So right off the bat, if we think about you know our everyday business processes, having a more diverse group of people involved in decision making is going to lead to to, to better outcomes. Um, that's not specific to marketing necessarily, but what really I found fascinating was um, a study that we did uh, here at Gartner. Um, we did uh, we built a predictive model. Um, Gartner has uh, kind of two really interesting proprietary uh, research methodologies, benchmarking uh, methodologies. One is talent neuron. Basically, it's an, an analysis of tens, if not hundreds of thousands of job listings, right, that are publicly sourced. Um, what we did is we looked for language around diversity, equity, and inclusion in those job postings tied it to the brand that was was listing the job and using that language, and then correlated it to another Gartner study, which is our digital performance benchmarks um, that uh, evaluate the way brands perform across digital channels. And we found a positive correlation between brands that really highlighted diverse and inclusive language in their job listings and those brands that outperformed their competitors um, across search, social, digital commerce, you name it. So that's that's the one that really felt the most weighty for for CMOs to really look at. You know, I'm guessing that a lot of CMOs at least instinctually get this right. They understand that, you know, diversity generally leads to good things, even if they don't have this kind of data sitting at their elbow. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like many marketing teams still fall well short of being a portrait in DEI. Real change often coincides with a unique window of opportunity, right? And you call out a really big one that we're seeing right now, that the geographic boundaries to hiring are all but disappearing right now. Can you speak to that and how that's such a huge opportunity, a big window of opportunity for DEI on our teams? Yeah, and I think I think it's a window of opportunity even beyond uh, DEI for, for yeah. our marketing teams. But you're right, there's a huge window of opportunity right now. And what I'm hearing from more and more CMOs is that they are taking advantage of you know this new uh, work model where most of us are working remotely, we're in a hybrid environment, and the geographic boundaries, therefore, to hiring are going away at a, a very rapid rate. So this is a this is a boon to marketing organizations, especially those that might be in metro areas that perhaps don't have, you know, a lot of uh, marketing data and analytics talent available to them. But it's also a boon to marketers that may be struggling to improve um, DNI at their organizations. So, you know, at, at this point, for most marketing organizations, um, you know, we're not we're not talking about frontline, you know, retail employees. We're not talking about um, you know, uh, manufacturing where you have to have factory workers that are actually on site. You know, if you need a programmatic advertising expert, that expert does not need to be in your geographic area. They can be a thousand miles away and still contribute to the team. You have to look at that in the context of diversity and inclusion as well. And it really starts to strip away any kind of demographic or geographic excuses to not really making progress on this front. For example, um, you know, we we alluded earlier that a lot of marketing and advertising agencies have struggled with uh, diversity and inclusion specifically um, over the past decades. And so, you know, I'll often talk to, you know, a mid-sized agency in the Midwest 
U.S. who says, hey, listen, we want to do the right thing. Um, we recognize that we are a relatively homogenous group. We recognize that that hurts us when we walk into a pitch room um, and we're competing with an agency from New York City or from Atlanta or from San Francisco. And they do have teams that reflect the audiences that the client is trying to uh, trying to connect with. Um, but that Midwest, you know, mid-sized agency there is no reason that they can't be hiring talent from those same metro areas, the New Yorks and and uh, Miamis and San Francisco's of the world to join their team. So I think there's a huge opportunity there for all marketers. And, and we'll talk more about those agencies in just a few minutes here. Um, one other aspect of this, you had used the term self-fulfilling prophecy, which I thought was a great way to couch this. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, the way that the typical hiring process goes down. Tell me what you mean by that and how this is a stumbling block to DEI on our teams. Well, I'll give you an exa another example. So I was talking to a CMO um, recently, this was a couple of weeks ago, and he was bemoaning the fact that he could not find an ideal candidate for this senior level marketing position. And so we had kind of talked through the job description and we had kind of talked through the roles and responsibilities and where he might look for this talent. And something came out, which um, you know he hadn't thought about, which is, you know, as most CMOs do, we rely on recruiters, whether they're internal or external, to do that initial filtering of job applications and only present what they consider to be the best qualified candidates and put that resume on the CMO's desk. Um, the issue is that he did not have visibility into what that recruiter was using as the initial filters to call down those resumes. And the reality is, and I think most recruiters would, would kind of admit, that typically the starting point for finding a job candidate is to look at the qualifications and experience and profile of the last person who held that job. And so that means looking at the degrees, looking at what colleges they went to, looking at the number of years of experience that the candidate may have. And that is a traditional approach to finding traditional candidates. Um, and especially in today's talent market, which is, as we all know, increasingly competitive, um, it excludes people with different educational backgrounds, with um, you know, different uh, industry or functional experience, um, different uh, psychological or behavioral profiles. It doesn't allow you to get to those really innovative, creative thinkers that we all want on our marketing teams, regardless of role. So it really uh, is important for marketing organizations to re-examine the criteria that their frontline recruiters are using to identify potential right fit candidates and expand that talent pool. You know, if someone were intentionally designing a tactic to ensure that nothing would ever change, that would be a great tactic. So right. I love that you're servicing that as something that we maybe weren't aware of, didn't have visibility into, and, and so glad that you're bringing that to the forefront. I want to go ahead to your second group. I want to turn to casting a much broader DEI net among our customer audiences. First off, do CMOs need to be sold on the benefits here, or do they already know what those are? Well, I, I like the way you phrase that. Do they already know what those are? Because, you know, time and time again, a lot of our marketing data and analytics surveys um, show over and over that we all have lots and lots of data at our fingertips. But at the end of the day, 
most marketing leaders will oftentimes defer to their gut instinct on what works, what doesn't work. And that's certainly understandable. But I think it's important to understand that, you know, relying on that gut instinct, relying on strategies around segmentation and persona development and media targeting that have worked in the past, um, the past is not the present. And what was true demographically of our audiences, even three or four years ago, is no longer true today. The population of the U.S. in particular is, is changing that rapidly. So I think it's uh, important to understand that even if you think you have a um, uh, 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 demographically diverse approach to segmenting your customers, um, that even what we call you know, in-group diversity is becoming increasingly complex. If you look at the U.S. Uh, Latino population, right? Uh, a lot of brands would say, yes, we have a, a Hispanic, a, a Latino um, marketing strategy and, and messaging that we use. But within you know, that group, there are so many diverse groups, right? You've got Salvadoran, you have Cuban, you have Dominican, all with very different you know, sets of, of, of kind of values and, and, and ways to connect with those groups. So what worked even a couple of years ago is not going to continue to work moving forward. You know, that feeds into what I feel like is becoming the theme of this conversation as we go. Um, it seems like so much of the deficit in DEI is the result of the way we've always done things. Um, and you made the point that CMOs need to really go back and revisit some of their segmentation and targeting methodologies, for instance, that they've used in the past. Um, it sounds like we're almost falling into the same kind of trap with systems in place and methods we use, uh, the same kind of trap that we're seeing with hiring. Can you speak to uh, what CMOs can do to break out of these traps, the things that they should revisit and the considerations they should take into account? Yeah, absolutely. So, so lately, it's interesting because, you know, there's the targeting and segmentation element of this. There's also the messaging and the, the creative element of this. Um, and so I've been really kind of pleased to talk to several CMOs recently who have made a, a committed effort towards making sure that their creative, for example, is you know representative of um, either you know the customer groups that that they work with or their own internal employee groups. So there's been a lot of effort towards that. I think one of the things though that we need to be careful of as marketers is to not overstep or not um, you know put out messages that are inauthentic, right? If, if we think about a, a business to business marketer that's creating sales collateral. And with all the best intentions, that sales collateral shows, you know, images of their sales team that uh, uh, that represent a lot of different groups, under underrepresented groups. Um, so an ad admirable approach. But if the reality is that 95% of your sales team is white and male, somebody's going to call you out on that because it's it's not authentic and it's not. Uh, accurately reflecting your own um, your own policies or your own progress or, or lack thereof, and there there can be a backlash to that. So you know whether it's relying on on old approaches to targeting and segmentation to you know the way that you're approaching creative, you know you, you need to walk a pretty fine line and, and make sure that you're doing your due diligence before putting those messages out there. Anything you see CMOs doing that seems to be working especially well? On this front, so I was talk. I was talking to a CMO um, 
very recently who has really you know raised the bar on what he is expecting his organization his marketing organization specifically to do around this and you know it's an example of setting the bar high with the recognition that we have a long way to go before we reach that bar but setting the bar high is the first step right holding yourself to a higher standard um it will take you time to reach that standard but i think simply by putting that out there putting some due diligence behind it putting some metrics and measurement behind those goals and aspirations you can immediately start to get better employee engagement and we know that highly engaged employees tend to drive more profitable companies um and and so that's that's an immediate benefit of really focusing on DEI is getting your employees engaged and when you see a CMO setting the bar high, what does that look like? Is it rounding up internal partners? Is it being more vocal to speak up for things? What, what does that look like to set that bar high and take that leadership voice? I think first and foremost, and what I what I really liked um, in, in the work that I saw was that it was a very transparent acknowledgement of this particular industry's role in creating and sustaining some of the systemic issues around gender inequality, around racial inequality, um, historically. So it's acknowledging the role that private enterprise has played in perpetuating these systems and using that as the starting point. Let's go finally to the supply chain aspect. You mentioned that DEI underachievement in the agency world has historically been a challenge for marketers. And you had shared with me a really great story about when you first started off in the agency business on Madison Avenue. That was a great uh, perspective in terms of where we've been and where we're trying to go. It's it's interesting. I'm glad you remembered that because it, it was kind of a an important moment or an important realization for me, right? So I grew up in a relatively homogenous um, community, and I went to a university that was, frankly, um, you know, not as diverse as it probably should have been. Um, and so when I arrived, you know, as a 23-year-old kid on Madison Avenue and walked into this ad agency and saw people of, you know, all colors and, and backgrounds, um, you know, working together, it was it was very eye opening. And, and one thing I particularly liked about that agency was that um, women were very much represented represented in leadership roles. So I thought, well, yeah, this is the way it's supposed to be. Well, you know, it was only a few weeks in to this role that the Reverend Al Sharpton was leading groups up and down Madison Avenue, protesting at the doors of, you know, Madison Avenue blue chip agencies. And that's when I realized that, well, for me, looking, you know, from a different perspective, wow, this seemed like a really diverse environment. The reality is if you looked at the numbers, if you looked at the history, um, we were actually, in, in fact, quite challenged as an industry and continue uh, to be challenged as an industry, although we have seen some some pretty good progress from a number of agencies in the last couple of years. You know, as we're trying to look at this question of what has the progress been, how far have we come, where do we need to go, perhaps most telling is some data that you have on agency holding company company leadership that is actually a little bit discouraging here <laughs> in 2022. I don't know if it's surprising or if it's just discouraging, um, but I thought that was really interesting data you found. So 
So, yeah, this was a study that the ANA did. And it and to be clear, it was from 2020. So it's a couple of years old, but, you know, it's not ancient history by any means, only two years ago. And the ANA reported that the composition of executives at the big four agency holding companies was 85% white. Um, so while I think there has been progress kind of, you know, uh, among the ranks at ad agencies, you know, in the media departments, in the creative departments, the reality is, is at the senior leadership levels at the holding companies, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. And, and realistically, apples don't tend to fall very far from the trees. So talk a little bit about some of those implications for agency selection, understanding that this is kind of an inherent challenge that we haven't moved past yet. Well, I was I was really proud that, you know, Gartner does you know, magic quadrants, right? That's what Gartner is often known for. And it was four years ago now that as part of our magic quadrant for global digital marketing agencies, we for the first time included an evaluation criteria around diversity and inclusion. Um, so for several years now, we have been advising marketers and more and more marketers are, are you know, to either taking us up on this or doing it on their own, making sure that DEI is an element of the way that they look at agencies, especially if you know our organizations, the client organization, has a commitment to DEI. Um, you know that commitment needs to be reflected in our partners, um, and we need to find partners who share those same values. So uh, one of the ways that we advise marketers to do this in their agency search processes is to ask some open-ended questions on their RFPs um, to uh, gauge how committed the agency is to diversity, equity, and inclusion. You keep those questions relatively open-ended because it gives the agencies just enough space to either really make a case for why they're making progress or to you know not make that case. And you can certainly discern, discern the difference um, and then you might add a couple of questions about, you know, the percentage of underrepresented groups that make up their staff, that make up their executive leadership. Um, but more and more marketers are really taking a serious look at their agency partners' uh, progress on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Any examples of what some of those open-ended questions might sound like? I honestly, so this is the way we do it um, with our Magic Quadrant. Um, we ask a very simple question, which is, please describe your agency's commitment to and progress on diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. And that's it. Open-ended question. And an agency that's really committed will come back to you with several paragraphs and KPIs that they're holding themselves to and numbers. And an agency, conversely, that's not as committed will pay some lip service to that and say, oh, yeah, it's the right thing to do, but they won't put any real kind of meat behind their response. And if they leave it blank, just move on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rule of thumb. Uh, one other aspect of this, Jay, you had made a really interesting point that I'd love you to speak to. You'd mentioned that a lot of CMOs kind of miss this glaring DEI killer, right, this relationship with the agency, because we've historically measured progress based on what we've done internally on DEI without really stopping to factor in that bigger picture of the agency relationships, et cetera. Do you mind speaking to that for a moment? Because it sounds like a blind spot that if we just paused and were aware of that, it wouldn't be that difficult to fix. It is a blind spot. And I think, I think historically, you know, there've been some examples of companies that have gotten into trouble more around, um, you know, sustainability 
efforts um, and and green efforts, greenwashing, right? Where you know there have been companies in the past, I won't name them here, who have put forth a message of you know environmental sustainability and um, sustainable sourcing, um, and only to have consumer groups figure out that perhaps somewhere in their supply chain. Um, those values aren't upheld, right? And that has gotten some companies into a lot of trouble. I think the same certainly can be true of, let's take a hypothetical brand um, that may have made great progress on diversity, equity, and inclusion in their organization and is reflecting that out with their messaging. And it comes out that the agency that's creating that messaging does not either hold the same values or has not made the same type of progress. So you really have to look at agencies as a key part of your supply chain, especially because they are creating that messaging. You know, we, we've treated DEI as something that would be kind of universally desirable. But of course, in reality, it is not without controversy. If we're going to reap both the moral and strategic benefits that DEI inherently represents, we need to be aware of where people might get a little bit hung up and be prepared to address that. What are some of your thoughts in terms of where people get hung up in the marketing world and how we might address some of those issues? Well, there's a couple of elements here, and it, it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before in terms of how marketers can address you know, consumers, their own teams, um, stakeholders, supply chain. Um, the key thing to understand is that especially here in the US, we are living in a highly polarized society. Everything is politicized, um, you know, for, for, for better or worse. Um, and that the reality is, is that especially the stronger of a message you put out, whether it's a message in support of uh, Black Lives Matter or gay rights or even, even the environment, you are going to turn off some of your consumers. You have to be willing to essentially fire your customers and let them go if they do not share your same values. And that's a, that's a hard uh, pill for a lot of marketers to swallow, but I think brands like Nike and others have demonstrated that it, it can be done and it, in the long term, it can be a positive for their business. It gets trickier, I think, with employees. So you alluded to this, and I, I was frankly a little um, upset to see a statistic that showed that 36% of employees surveyed about their company's diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts said, quote, I feel like these DEI efforts discriminate against people like me. So we can all have the best intentions and um, want to do the right thing. And the reality is that not everybody's going to be on board. Um, I think one way that you can mitigate that and perhaps get greater buy-in from a broader swath of your employees and potentially your, your customers is to really kind of, you know, get the, get the ground level buy-in to your efforts, do the listening tours, do the employee focus groups, the um, employee resource groups, and take that feedback into account as you build out your program. Yeah, and we do a, a lot of work here at Gartner across marketing and communications around messaging, of course. And one of the things, one of the big opportunities we have is to bring employees and other stakeholders along with us 
on this journey, right? To message in a way that is transparent, that is emphasizing benefits to them, which we might assume they know, but maybe they don't. Um, and the more we can be bringing people along with us and pointing out the benefits of that joint journey, uh, the less we're going to run into these funny walls, right? Right. Along the way. I know your team and the broader Gartner team is constantly doing work on this. What can Gartner clients look forward to in terms of support for their DEI efforts moving forward? What's coming down the pipeline over the next few months? Well, you know, certainly our our um, our human resources um, team is doing lots of work, uh, you know, really on a daily basis on this front. And a lot of that research is, is available to our, our, our marketing clients. Um, you know, certainly I think that, you know, even our future of work reinvented resource center that talks about um, a lot of these issues around hiring, retention, and expanding your pool of candidates, and and uh, really kind of addressing the new work realities, that can be super helpful. And then, of course, we've got experts who are you know ready and standing by to talk to clients on inquiry about these issues and get you know get that advice as it applies directly to their business needs. Jay Wilson. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thanks to all of you for listening to Hashtags. We hope to see you on our next episode. Take care. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations. 